today on a very special episode of the Enneagram Journey podcast. Here's what's going to happen, Tonto. Kimasabi's going to have some flavor. I'm going to choose not to eat with you. We're not going to eat together? No. I like to recharge my batteries and shut down the engines and get myself back to neutral. When the meal's over with, I will talk to you. I don't want to get into what happened last night because it's only going to make me mad. Let's get through today. Let's keep our eye on the prize. Noted. Can I tell you something without you getting angry? I love you. Yeah, you big guy. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my husband used to tell me like, he's, my husband is a one, he's white. Um, he's from the Midwest. He's a, he's a, a project manager. He's like, literally he's everything everybody would celebrate in our kind of spaces that we're in mm -hmm. as far as leadership mm -hmm. and the way he operates and the way he organizes himself. Um, he would say, you know, you're, you're interesting. You go into a situation and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to this conference or I'm going to go to this gathering or meeting. What should I wear? Like, who's going to be there? Um, how will they receive me? And you're like anticipating everything that could potentially mm -hmm. go bad mm -hmm. so that when you get there, you're prepared for everything that could happen. Are you kidding? I am psyched to go on this week-long cruise, just sitting around doing nothing. Straight up living that slug life, y'all. Cruise itineraries, hot off the laminator. Who's ready for some nonstop, totally scheduled fun? Oh, I actually thought we could just sit by the pool, eat unlimited shrimp, and see what it does to our bodies. That's cute. I don't know if there's gonna be time, though. The cruise offers 77 activities, and I signed us up for 76 of them. Speed dating for widows seemed like a bummer. Okay, so? Slightly different perspectives going into this cruise. Call it the slug life talking, but I think it's gonna work itself out. I mean, I don't even know what the theme is. What's the theme? Spurt fasting. Those aren't themes. There's always a theme. There's always a theme. Today's guest had the audacity, audacity to ask me the theme of the show, the theme of this episode, I should say, well, the theme of today's episode of the Anagram Journey podcast with Suzanne Stabile is Anagram 8, Sandra Van Opstel, and her husband, Anagram 1, Carl Ostrowski. Two doing dominant numbers that are going to do a great job talking about all the doing that they get done. They're going to talk about how they take care of themselves and each other, parenting, justice, and so much more. Before they do it, though, I'm going to tell you about Suzanne Stabile teaching in Kansas City at Resurrection UMC. Know your number with the Godmother, Friday and Saturday, June 23rd and 24th. You'll find the link in the show notes and on the LTM website for you to get your tickets for only 30 bucks. This is by far Suzanne's most requested workshop, and it's a great opportunity to start your journey or to introduce the Enneagram to a friend, family member, coworker, whatever. If you've attended this workshop before, come and pay attention to the numbers that you go to in Stress and Security. No matter the reason that you sign up and the reason that you join us, I guarantee you're going to benefit from the teaching and the community. June 23rd and 24th, Resurrection UMC in Kansas City. The link is in the show notes and at lifeinthetrinityministry.com. There's also still time to apply for all four of LTM's cohort programs. The Deconstruction Reconstruction Cohort with Reverend Joseph and Suzanne Stabile begins this year. And the Anagram Cohort, the Contemplative Cohort, and the Family Systems Cohort are all going to start anew in 2024. Visit com for more information and to apply. Or, of course, click on the link in the show notes. 
And now, let's join Carl, Sandra, and Suzanne. Great. It's nice to meet you, Carl. I'm glad that you've been on, both of you have been on vacation. (laughs) Sounds like the boys get to vacation no matter what. That's what they said. (laughs) They said, when do we get a family vacation? I said, you guys just had two of them. That's right. (laughs) That's perfect. It's interesting, Carl, because one of the things that uh, when I had to travel, I before COVID, I traveled a lot. And, you know, Joe's a nine. So not doing would have been his natural state when I was traveling and he wasn't working. And um, I got to a point where I, I really struggled with traveling because I was wanted to be here and wanted to be with him and the kids and all that. And he honored my struggle by doing while I was gone. Hmm. And uh, I just I have always kept a running list on our bar in the kitchen of the things that need to be done that I don't think I can do. And and that was easy for him to ignore for a very long time. And then I started coming home from a trip and four or five things were checked off. And so Mm -hmm. it turned out to be uh, good for our relationship and good motivation for him as a nine. I, I, you know, as the one who you know can't handle the energy of the world, you know, I got to contain it. So I yeah. clean the garage while Sandra is gone. It's power washed. It's organized. It's <laughs> Howza, That's a lot. Yeah. That Joe never got to that on the list. So <laughs> I, I, um, poked him, you know, I pecked him to death, I guess, uh, about wanting those cabinets that well-born garage doors sells here. I doubt if y'all have well-born mm-hmm. garage doors, but. Anyway, I finally got my cabinets in the garage. It looks pristine. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, use what you can. Also, good job painting the office there. Thank you. Yeah, it was the green of the, uh, I think the color was Tinkerbell. It was like w- when we were about to have kids or hoping to have kids, I we had a leak in the roof, so we had to paint the room. So I, we didn't know if we would have boys or girls, so we just painted it green. Yeah, And we both love green, and then we just filled the room with frogs, and it became the green room. And then it stayed that way for about 10 years, so it was like, us oh, probably time to paint it. <laughs> how'd you, as a one, how'd you leave that there for 10 years? <laughs> you know, the, the one, you know, there's certain things that's the right way of doing things, but it varies from one to one. <laughs> <laughs> So, That's a good line. Yeah. So, so for me, it's like, eh, I didn't, it, I, I should say I didn't dislike it, but being in this space is so much better. There you go. Sandra opened my eyes to all the beauty that could exist in my office when I'm here, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. Sure. Sure. Well, I'm going to tell you one more story and then we'll get down to serious business. I can't resist frogs and green. Joe, my best friend's father died and she wanted Joe to do the funeral and he lived in Houston and uh, we headed there after a day of teaching. So we didn't get there until late at night and we didn't, we went straight to the family and stayed with them for a couple of hours and we didn't have a hotel reservation. There are lots of hotels in Houston. It didn't occur to us that we'd need one. So we went to several hotels, went in, no, no vacancy, none, none, none. And we finally find a room that we can get to. And they're doing some construction, but not in our room. So we climbed over things and we get in the room and it has, 
you know, that wall covering that people had for a while that looked like a forest or something like there was green everywhere and leaves and vines and things. He went to the bathroom first and I'm sitting on the foot of the bed and I'm so thankful to be there and so tired. And it's two 30 in the morning. And I look up and one of the cute little frogs on the wallpaper jumped. <laughs> they were, they were real. And the only way we could catch them was by catching them in a glass on the wall and then taking them outside to get rid of them. And we think there were about 40. It was crazy. And every once in a while I think, well, I can just, I can sleep with this. And then I thought, I can't, no, I can't. <laughs> we have to get them all. <laughs> so I haven't well, thought they're, about They're going to rivet, you know, and wake you up. So. <laughs> exactly. I hadn't thought about that in years, but that did it for me. Well, after, after business, I can, I can give you a related story. I think you'll enjoy it, but great. we can get down to tax. All right. Sounds great. For the record, business is stories. So by all means. Yeah. Enjoy. Tell it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, so frogs was kind of like the uh, a theme in our early dating relationship. Sandra and I, so we'd give each other frogs. We had a little stuffed frog. We'd hide in each other's suitcases, you know, when we travel and stuff like that. So, for our wedding, Sandra's sister got us a frog themed, uh, just a bunch of frog themed stuff for our house. And so, we were in a in a mostly Latino neighborhood in Chicago. Our landlord, at our first apartment, uh, didn't speak hardly any English. And Spanish is Sandra's first language. It's my second language. So I speak it with an accent. So he was in our apartment fixing something. And he said, you know, uh, is there anything else wrong? And I said, yeah, in Spanish, you know, there's tons of frogs in the bathroom. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, there's frogs everywhere in the bathroom. And he's so confused. He looked at Sandra like, you know, is this guy like missing a word or something like that? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, they're everywhere. And so he comes in and there's a frog themed shower curtain, a frog themed self dispenser, you know, frog themed garbage right. pan, whatever. And so he just, he had a good laugh. Um, but it's, it's nice when English, you know, people don't expect you to speak Spanish. You can kind of play with them a little bit. Exactly. You know, I'll, I used to travel to Latin America and Spain for work and they'd say to me, man, your Spanish is so great. And I'd say, yeah, so is yours. That's good. I'm going to give that to Joe. Joe, uh, <laughs> uh, has a master's degree in Spanish. He got that master's degree at the same time that he was getting his MDiv in Chicago okay. and he went to Mexico in the summers and worked on that and came back. And his Spanish is really beautiful. And he's also Italian. So he's uh, he could pass for Spanish. And um, people often think that he's a native speaker and he just goes with it. It's there like, yeah, why not? He kind of pulls <laughs> off the whole Al Pacino move. I feel like yeah. Pacino plays several different yeah. ethnicities yeah. throughout his acting career. Yeah. That, like, okay, you're, you're Hispanic now. Yeah. Now you're Italian. Yeah. Now you're white. Yep. And he's well, I, I, I used to be uh, Polish, but they have Polish remover in the health and beauty aisle at Walgreens. So you can stick your fingers in it and you're ethnicity free. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I didn't know what to expect from you two, but this isn't it. <laughs> so I'm thrilled. <laughs> I don't know that we've had the opportunity to talk to the most aggressive number and the fourth aggressive number in a podcast or a conversation. So I'm fascinated. You know, ones are considered to be the fourth aggressive number appropriately. And there are some writings from way back in Enneagram literature that had sevens not aggressive and ones aggressive. We all know the land that eights live in. I 
remember Sandra when we were working on the series for IVP, talking with you and thinking it is a double gift and a double bind that in your eightness you have lived fully in more than one culture. And I am asking the first the first question I have is do you think that makes it easier or harder to be a female eight in current America? Ooh, starting off light. Okay. Um, it makes I think it makes it harder. I think it makes it harder because uh there are expectations people have in both cultures, sets of values that people um center and honor in each culture and you're navigating that at all times. So you're constantly asking yourself, am I, am I operating correctly in this space that I'm in? And so I think, you know, one of the things um, that is really interesting for me in being an eight, and we talked about this last time too, is that, I mean, I very much care uh, that other people feel safe in my presence, that other people feel experience hospitality in my space, in my home, on my teams, is probably a primary motivation I have for most of what I do, that people feel belonging, that people feel welcome, that people feel joy in, in my space. But then I, I also have to say some things that other people are not saying in my space. And so I think that navigating how that's done um, is, is interesting in both cultures, both as a woman and as a Latina. But one example that I can give you that's that's not mine is we were, we've been rewatching West Wing. So I don't know if anybody is listening to so we I love political dramas because there's some resolution usually and most of what we live in the real world is not resolved. So um and so we've been watching West Wing and there's this this um kind of change in in employment that happens on the show where a woman takes over a role that a man used to have. And when the man had the role, he would just walk into the president's office because that's his job as the chief of staff. He would walk into the office. But when the woman takes over the role, she would go around to the other entrance, like not from her door through to the president's office, but around this through the secretary, through the admin. And I said, oh, okay, this is like, so we started talking about like, well, it seems like the president doesn't trust her the same way or doesn't give her the same power that he gave the man. And I was like, well, first of all, um, yes, of course, absolutely. And so we're talking about this dynamic just in our watching television. And I said, and also she did that to herself because she didn't use the door the man used. Yep. And so I, I think that's, it's, so it feels like it's always our fault. Like it's our fault because we didn't use the door the man used. And it's also our fault because we're forced to, to behave in ways that men behave in order to to, to get ahead in life. And so we can't do the things we prefer to do culturally, create the spaces we prefer to create culturally because they would be seen as too emotional, too soft, too whatever. Mm -hmm. So, But then when we do use the door, then we're told, oh, well, you know, that's very aggressive of you to use that door. Mm -hmm. So even in this this political drama that we're watching, it's like, a, I'm, and I, I found that he, he just kept watching the show and fell asleep. And I actually like went <laughs> to bed with this really difficult dilemma in my heart. Like, well, what's the right answer then? Because I coach a lot of women of color. So I'm like, what's the right answer then? Is it to tell them like, use the door because that's the door the man uses? Or is the right answer to say, no, do it how you would do it and know that it might have implications for how much people value or respect your opinion because you didn't do it the man's way. So I like fell asleep with all this tension um, about like the right way to do it because I'm in, I'm an eight and I'm a Latina in a 
overall white space, but I'm coaching and around and really mentoring and elevating and championing women of color. And so that, that would be one example of like something simple that like, we're just watching a show together. And I'm like having this completely different experience that Carl's having. He's like, huh, that's interesting. And he just moves on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm fascinated by it. I think it's more than interesting. (laughs) What was the right answer? I don't know. I I fell asleep. I finally, um, I think (laughs) it is. I I, I think what I told Carl at the end was, well, in the end, if she wants to get ahead, she, she's going to have to go through that door. Yeah. Um, because that's how the man would do it. And that sucks for us, but that's how it is. Um, and you see her like wrestling with herself, like, oh, but all around her, the men are talking and making decisions and she's supposed to be the number two. Right. And she's now the number four. Yeah. Because she didn't jump in. And then when she does jump in, uh, in the show as a person, when she does kind of jump in and assert herself, people see her as scary and aggressive. Um, so it's hard, you know? Yeah, it is hard. I I was just thinking as you were talking that there are, you probably know that my life dream was to coach college basketball. So that's what I was working toward. And I got to do that and it was great. And I didn't ever dream I'd be married to a pastor and I am. And I did a lot of things in between. I taught theology. I started a social service agency. I did a lot of things, but I'm not, for my age group, I'm not the typical pastor's wife. And so I have the, it's not about exactly walking through a door, but it's like, I have all those choices to make too. Because when I'm in that world, what there's a, the appropriate way for me to behave as a pastor's wife. And it's not the way I behave other places in the world. And about 15 years in, I just sat down with Joe and said, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just not going to do it anymore. Either I have to be me or we lose the value of being in ministry together anyway. So buck up (laughs) because, you know, he's a nine. He hates conflict. And he said, "Okay." So my point is that part of it, even for an Enneagram two, my part Part of the answer is we just have to go ahead and do it. We we have to, regardless of Enneagram number. And we have to go ahead and try to belong being ourselves. Because belonging when we're not being ourselves doesn't count anyway for us. Yeah, and I think I, I definitely think for 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 me, then the question is what do you lose if you make that choice? Um as a woman in the church leadership world, um, as a Latina in a really a, an American predominantly white publishing industry, predominantly white conferencing, worship industrial comp, all that thing. So it's like I, I work with a lot of artists, particularly young black artists that are like, I want to do my music. I want to give my message. I want to do my thing. But it doesn't fit the Christian contemporary formula. Right. And, and it doesn't fit the the way they want it. And then when they, when they sign, when you sign with them, they want you to be a certain way. Right. And uh, my advice to them was you have to be you, but you have to know that that has consequences and you have to be okay with those consequences. Right. Cause I know how to write the book. I know the formula for the best selling, you know, woman's book. Yeah, I know it. I know it. I, we all know the formula and I won't write it because it's not true to who I am. Right. And so what I do want to do though, as a, as a person who's, 
trying to imagine a new way forward is ask the question, are there, what barriers am I putting up for other people that I can lower and still be authentic to who I am? Right. Um, and, and I think there are ways of doing that because there are many barriers that I've lowered um, and things I haven't talked about to accentuate other things about myself, like what it means to be a mother raising preschool children yep. in the world that we're living in, that we can all relate to, even though it's not at all the context of the people that I'm talking to. Yeah. Am I remembering correctly that women are more underrepresented in publishing than minorities? Am I making, is that right? I thought I remember you saying something about that, having statistics about that. I don't know what the statistics are, like if like all females as opposed to men of color, for example. I don't know what those statistics are, but I do know that it's more likely that they'll sell, that people will read them because they're male. Um, that is, though, you know, I, but I'm sure uh, our publishers could provide that information. But I think what we're talking about is really who, who, which voice gets normalized. And so at any rate, women of color, which is who I work with primarily women, um, and men of color are more um, underrepresented than than white men in all of the American Christian spaces. And so, um, and and Carl can speak to the to the kind of the workplace, the marketing workplace. But both 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 of us have worked in Christian spaces, and both of us have worked in for profit uh, consulting firms. And so we, I don't know that it's well. I would say probably it's worse than church, but um, it's just bad everywhere. Um, if you're underrepresented, you're kind of the first and only. Uh, you're having to make those decisions of like, okay, I can do this, but what will it mean for my career? And and ultimately we have to live with our decisions. And uh, there are many people that make those decisions, even in their own parenting and their own like kind of family uh, decisions. Like I'm going to choose not to be a certain kind of worker or choose not to climb a certain kind of ladder because I want to be more present for my children. Those are all decisions we make. Um, and I think for us, for for me in particular, as an eight, as a woman of color, I'm like, okay, who do I, what do I choose to do in this space? But it's, it's very intentional and it's very calculated every time. And that's exhausting. So all that to say, that's exhausting. So then my husband's like, why are you so exhausted? I'm like, if you had to be me in the spaces I'm in, you would be exhausted too. <laughs> that leads me to my next question then, because as an eight and a one, and I don't think this is a term for the triad, but the justice triad, is yeah, that a thing? Yeah, that works. Okay. And I believe that it's exhausting. I'm not a part of that triad, so it sounds exhausting. <laughs> As an eight and a one together, is that something that just daily y'all are like, what, what, uh, not hill to die on today, but there's something like, are we going to champion this cause today? Are we going to do this today? Is that an ongoing thing? Yes. Um, I, I think, you know, I think both of us, we live lives with such incredible intentionality and the, the motivators are, are nuanced, you know, for us, obviously, but there's, you know, there's, there's not, yeah, baking, baking in leisure, you know, before this, we started, we were talking about vacations and things like that, like just making sure that we have time where we're not striving. I, I heard that's the, 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 the verse, you know, be still and know, I'm, know I am God. Another translation would be cease striving uh, and know I am God. Oh, that's good. So yeah, a, a, a Sabbath practice for us is very, very important where we're not checking emails and we're not networking and we're not necessarily calling our political officials or, you know, doing a protest <laughs> or something like that or, 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 or whatever it is, whatever, you know, our values are aligned to. Um, 
yeah, we, we've had to be very intentional about rest to make sure that we have capacity for enjoyment, for leisure, for sleeping. <laughs> That's fascinating. I think two of the most important things that I heard you say uh, that I would like for y'all to both talk about some more is we have to be intentional. Did you say about everything? Well, I say we are. I don't know if we should be, but we are. <laughs> okay. And I have a lot of questions about intentionality in different Enneagram numbers. Because I'm, I'm, and Carl, you're in it with me. I'm, I'm in the dependent stance, which means I, I'm kind of paying attention to what everybody else thinks. And, and my orientation to time is the present moment, not the future. Hmm. And Sandra, your orientation to time is the future. And you are um, tempered strong, meaning every time I encounter you or your work, I can tell that you are measuring what will be to your advantage and sharing what you're trying to get people to hear. That I think is exhausting. I don't know if y'all know the work of Brian McLaren or if you know Brian, but he's a good friend of ours. And he has been to me twice in the last 10 years to get me to take up a cause that he's really interested in and really wants me to do. And both times I said, there are other people to do this. Why are you asking me? And he said, because you're from the South and mm -hmm. you're old yeah, and you're charming and you get away with stuff. And I'm just saying, I am feeling like I'm not being intentional enough because of that. And I'm wondering if y'all have to be intentional because you're not that. You're smart. You're charming. And in your intentionality, you are um, making a difference. And I get that that's exhausting. And what I want to know is where do you get away with just being smart and charming and having good things to speak into the world, minus the boundaries all the time? Yeah, yeah, it's hard. That is really hard. Um, I think I was as you're like as you're describing it. I'm like, ooh, that sounds that sounds. I'm more tired hearing you talked about it. I I don't actually think. I, honestly, for me, the exhausting part is the context I'm in. Because if I'm doing that in my own context, it's not exhausting. If I'm being intentional, like a friend of mine once said, like even like when we travel with teams and worship teams, you're like intentional with who you room us with. Cause I assign people sure. things, you know, like everything is like got a reason. Cause you want them to connect because they both have children with disabilities because you want them to connect because they both got, so everything you do is, but I think it's instinctive for me. It's like, um, on, on my strengths finders, strategic is one of my strengths. And so I think I'm, I'm like, and it's always about people. So for me, I'm, if I'm at home, if I'm in a community, it's just, how I do it, where we sit down at the dinner table, what we make for people when they come because they have allergies or don't have allergies or food sensitivities. Like we're always, it feels like that's just kind of how we live at least together. And also like for me separately, but it doesn't feel like <clears throat> I'm carrying something like a big weight until I'm doing it because I feel like the space is uh, not my space. Got it. Like not my people or, um, or there could be a cost for my honesty. So I have to be very careful about like, do I want to lose people? Do I want to like, what is it that I want to do here? Yep. And so I cost? think the cross, 
the cross-cultural cost is where it feels exhausting because it doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel just, it doesn't feel right because right. the person that comes after me doesn't have to do that. They can just go and give the same exact, literally the same 20 minute talk they've given at the other six conferences without one edit because they're not high context and they don't really care. They have a message and, and it's like going to the masses. Whereas I'm like, what are you doing here, God? What are you doing here, God? What are you, who's here? Who yeah. needs to hear what? And so I think it's the high context, which is both very Colombian, very Latina, and, and also very my personality, like my own you know, uh, temperament and it's the work that I do. So it's my craft. So I see it as an art form. It's like, this is my, this is my art as a messenger. I'm crafting my message, whether in writing or spoken in a way that's going to be winsome and allow people to connect with God's heart for justice. And the fact that it's all through the scripture. So it's, it's my work. I would say the intentionality at home, it's not exhausting. It's just, it just is. (laughs) I don't know, Carl. Maybe yeah, you're always a, exhausted. No, I, th- I think I think agreed on the home front. You know, I th- we have very similar values. So regardless of our motivations, our temperaments, our cultures, some of our values are shared. And so when we're living into our, our shared values, that that comes more naturally. Maybe the approach is different. You know, there's some nuance or, or conflict there, but at least underlying, there's the same values. You know, when you were asking about, for me, when I think about intentionality, intentionality. I was thinking about you know two motivations. One is I, I think of uh, Jesus saying, you know, if, if it's in your power to do something good and you don't do it, you sin. <laughs> so it's like, a, hey, I, I got to look for where do I have power? And if, if you've read uh, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together at the Cafeteria by Dr. Tatum, uh, you know, she, she lists like the desired norms in our society. It's better to be male than female or more desired to be rich than poor. You know, when you, when you check all the boxes, I'm the man. So when you when someone refers to the man, you know, they're sticking it to the man, they're sticking it to me. Yeah. Uh, so recognizing that, you know, posture and that privilege, I, I, I have a responsibility, but also take joy and satisfaction in, you know, trying to write those things. I also have a motivation of how do I make sure no one can scold me for anything? There's um, that oneness. There it is. Yes. <laughs> so, and, 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 you know, there's, there's a, a positive side and a negative side to all of our Enneagram types. So I, you know, I just got complimented by my boss because I did some CYA, you know, covering yourself um, at work where she's like, oh man, there's some conflict coming up. I'm like, actually, I documented that three months ago and sent an email. She's like, oh, that just makes my job so much easier. And so I was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, no, a win. No, that's a win. Um, so I think, but that, that I think for me is more exhausting is the, what, what's going to come at me. That's a surprise. What's that you know thing that I'm not going to be able to contain. Um, and so making sure I'm, I'm putting stuff out there to kind of prevent it for myself and thinking about the future. That's where I get exhausted. So, so imagine that you're married, you're like that and you're married to an Enneagram eight, um, who's also an ENFP, who's also Latina, expressive Colombian Argentine, which is the happiest happies and the, and the maddest mads. So here's Carl going about his day, like having a great time and feeling good. And then I come in, I'm like something, whatever it is, something in the world usually. And what's wrong with you people? And why can't you do something? You know, uh, why is it like this for me if it's personal, you know? And so it, it's it, it's really, um, gosh, it's such an interesting thing to be to be married to. Uh, and I that that has also to do with like the the calculatedness. Like I, as a spouse and as a partner, have to be careful of how I, not in a, like a bad way, but in like a honorable way of how I come in 
to the house when I experience something out in the world um, or in the Zoom world um, and in a way that doesn't like crush him, you know, mm-hmm. and with as, as a side note, maybe Carl, <laughs> sorry, but like when we first got married, it was so hilarious because everyone would be like, oh, who, so who are you dating? Are you engaged? Oh, oh, it's Carl. Oh, really? Carl's right. Wow. He's such a nice guy. He's so nice. What a nice guy, you know? And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Everyone, Cause everyone in our, in our ministry, everyone knew both of us. We're both very social. We're leaders. We, you know, people know us. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, People would talk to Carl and they'd be like, oh, so Carl, who are you? Mean? Oh, so what are you doing here at this conference? Oh, I'm I'm married to Sandra. Sandra who? Sandra Van Opsel. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, oh, oh. oh you're <laughs> married to her. One, one of them asked me, are you OK? You know, <laughs> so, so I was like, yeah, if you're OK, do you need help? <laughs> so I was like, what do they think we're like? So it's it's kind of been a funny We've had a lot of laughs in our marriage because people make assumptions about what this dynamic is like. Sure. And they're just wrong. They're wrong. Much of the time, they're wrong. Our oldest daughter's an eight and she's married to a nine. And uh, her husband, Billy, said to me maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, he said, you know, I figured out the thing. He said, intensity is intimacy with Joey. And now that I have that figured out, I think we're fine. And I think he's right. Intensity is intimacy, even in a casual conversation with an eight. You know what I've been thinking while y'all have been talking? And Carl, you've obviously picked it up. You you get more done in a day than most ones do, I guarantee, because y'all are thinking fast and moving fast. People tell me that I hear in the room with my cohorts, I'll hear somebody say that they're listening to me teach something, but they've turned it up so it goes faster. And I'm I'm listening to y'all thinking, there's no turning y'all up. Y- y'all are moving, moving, moving. So I I thought I need. To I, talk I, can, I can't listen to any podcast that's not a 1.5 or higher. That's just. Uh, I've heard people have said that also about the thing. I'm really like, yeah, yeah. I listened to it. At, you know, at 1.5, and I've tried that. I just can't. For a lot of people, I'd be curious if that is. Uh, if it's a thing, doing dominance, sure if, I be, uh-huh. doing dominance like yeah. we're going to do it and we can, if we can do it at 1.5, let's do it at 1.5. Yeah. Let's get her done. While we're also washing dishes, folding laundry, gardening, taking like, I mean, it's, it's never just sitting or driving. It's doing. <laughs> oh yeah. I got a couple of podcasts cleaning the garage this weekend. It was great. Have y'all never taken like a Carl day or a Sandra day? I, I've you taken know, Joel what- days and those are the best. One of, one of the things that we do um, twice a year is we take a three-day silent retreat. Um, and we've been doing this. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. We've been doing it for all of our marriage. Um, so twice a year, we take three days of silence and we go together. And we spend like a nine to six alone, kind of in silence and reading, sleeping, napping, yoga, walking, whatever. And then we get together at night and we say like, okay, well, how was your day? you know, kind of any responses. If not, we just have dinner and take a walk or we try to stay at a place that has like a, either a pool or a hot tub, something that you can, you know, be in your body, you know, just kind of enjoy yourself. And and that's, that's really served us because it takes for me the first 24 hours just to slow down to yeah. even find myself. Um, and this, the weekly Sabbath. So we do practice a weekly Sabbath. There's no television, there's no working, there's no nothing people that we that drain our energy 
that doesn't happen on Sunday. So we do a weekly Sabbath and we do the, the twice a year three-day retreat. And then we try to do other retreats in there, but it is really important because we're doers and we feel motivated by our community around us that the world is not right. Um, and then I'm more of a doer than he is. So like, I just add to the list. And then of course he feels like it's the right thing to get it done. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's usually like we should buy a house and provide affordable housing. And then all of a sudden there's a spreadsheet of like, this is how it happens, you know? And then it's like, well, we should be involved in like some of the immigration. And then there's another spreadsheet, you know, like, oh, what if we had a block club that like, and then all of a sudden there's an email list. So I'm usually, it's usually like I've come up with an idea and then Carl's like, let's make it happen. Actually, our 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 son, when he was like two years old, he used to tell everybody, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. And we're like, we couldn't figure out where he learned that from. And then Carl's like, oh, it's me. I say that. Um, let's make it happen. So, so I mean, to me, I, a lot of people have said to us, our mentors and folks that we really love in our kind of faith and justice world is that we work better together because we are like this. Yes. I think we've had to have other mentors say to us, and you also are both in the gut space and the body space and in the doing space. So what are you doing to like kind of rein that back a little right. bit? So we've had, we allow people to come into our lives and tell us this is not working for you guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's one of the most interesting things I've I've come across some people who I actually care about deeply and have known for a very long time who are really struggling. And it occurred to me that over the years, they have never allowed anybody to influence their decisions. And it's a great loss. It's just a big loss. I, I, I agree. We, we, we met with our marriage therapist a couple of months ago and she asked us something and we're like, We've never thought about that. It's it's been helpful. Like some conflict stop. Like it was, it's it's been fruitful, and we were on a kind of journey with what she suggested. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how you cannot be influenced by others. Right. <laughs> Have other people speaking truth into your life yes. is is so important. I think. Well, Joel's married to a one. Yeah. Sorry, Joel. <laughs> no, it's all good. Art. She. <laughs> She influences my decisions. She, she, she's the person that y'all just described. No, it's a it's a much different relationship. It's different in I like to think about things when you were saying that, Sandra. You know, you're like, and he says, let's make it happen. I've learned to one with myself when I have an idea for something, you know, just kind of keep it buried down. If it keeps coming back up, then we'll see. Cause there's a lot of ideas. I'm like, this will be a great idea. This will be a great idea. This will be a great idea. And if I acted on all of them. Nothing, and when I do act on too many of them, nothing gets done. And then with Winnie, though, if I have a good idea, and then I tell her, I've got to be careful if I tell her about it, because then it's let, let's make it happen. As if she likes it, then it it's going down. Well, here's a small, tiny example, and there are much bigger ones and more important ones, but this illustrates it really well. After a podcast recording one time with uh, early on with KJ Ramsey. And it was, I think, our second time talking with her, and she pulled out some uh, incense or sage or something, and and I was like, "What's going on here?" And uh, she told me, and I was like, "That's that's brilliant." She's like, in between clients or in between sessions, she lights it and kind of to clear the space and create a new space for the new thing that's about to happen. And I was like, "That's really great. I'd love to do that." And I told Whitney about it, and this is an example of one that I wasn't ready to follow through with. But now Whitney's got stuff burning all the time. She's got 
the little chimney thing next to her her side of the bed on the nightstand. It's in the bathroom because she let's make it happen. And she runs and runs with it. It's interesting because with KJ, when you're talking to her, I talk to her fairly frequently. And even for us just to have a friendship conversation, she uh, starts it by lighting something. And then she, you know, brings it all around. And I, I always feel better somehow. It is a make it happen thing. And I, I have ideas and I want to make them happen right then. And I'm married to a nine. Y'all talked earlier about being intentional uh, with leisure time and, you know, vacation. And we're at the point of time uh, summer's coming up and vacation time is coming up. And this past weekend here at the Micah Center was the Anagram cohort. Uh, and this weekend's teaching was around stress and security moves. I recently, I, I'm just in love with this clip. It will be in the intro to this podcast. And I tell anyone who I can about it because I think it's so funny. But, uh, when Whitney and I go on vacation, we become like, like vacation, vacation. We make dramatic shifts into our uh, security line of Whitney going to her version of seven space. It's not, she doesn't do it right, but as, as a seven, but what she considers seven space and I moved to five space and it's, just, it's very interesting to see and watch. And I'm curious, is that, how does that play out for y'all when y'all do maybe not necessarily with the, a silent retreat, but that leisure vacation time, do y'all experience those moves in um, each other and yourselves? Well, let me say something then Carl, you could, I don't know if, where your mind went, but my mind went to a comment that um, we both Carl and I were at a, at a trip. We were in a trip to, to the AFA Mexico city and there was a guy there, his name's Saul, and he runs a ministry in a, in, a, in a slum community outside of Mexico City. And somebody in the community asked him this question, like, how do you make time for, like, how do you draw boundaries between your family time and your ministry time and your leisure time? And he was like, I don't understand the question. And of course, it's a second language. So they asked it again, you know, like, well, you know, when you have, like, you talked about your children being a part of your ministry and you guys lived in that community and you did the ministry and you, but so how do you find time for, like, how do you draw boundaries? And he was like, I don't understand the question. And then somebody asked him in Spanish, you know, the same thing. And he was like, the question doesn't make sense to me. And Carl and I have reflected on that moment. This was right. Was it right before we got married or right after we got married? It was right after. Right after. And we had to have the conversation about that because that that way of thinking to me is very Latina. Like it's a very, uh, the conversation around boundaries and sections feels very Western and American to me. Um, uh, conversations about integration of life. So I'm, I'm saying this because the vacation question is one of those things we actually, we talk about and struggle with because I tack on days of vacation to places that I'm going, or if I get time off, I want to go visit partners that we're doing in ministry, not because it's work, but because it's a part of what I, it's a part of the kind of life I want to have, the relationships I want to keep and the things I want to expose my children to in their understanding of God in the world. So we will take all of Carl's vacation time or all of my vacation time to travel to South Africa or Rwanda or Costa Rica or Honduras or to take a, and it feels to us like that is an investment. That to us feels like that this is about what our life is about. It's very rare or family. Of course, we have family that lives far away, family in Argentina, family in Colombia, family in Colorado. 
So I've oftentimes felt like we don't know how to explain those choices to our friends, our American friends, our um, not so much our therapist because she's from India. And so I think she really understands a lot of us, but we we kind of sometimes feel like we don't know if we're making the right decision or the wrong decision in the eyes of other people, but we feel like we're making the right decisions for us because we don't understand the question, if that makes sense. For the silent time, silence and solitude, we totally understand that. How you get there and how you do it, that's one thing. But for the leisure vacation time, the way Americans do vacation feels very, very strange to me because the only time I ever left, the only time I ever took a break was always about seeing seeing family or doing something connected to maybe like a kind of a social cause. That day that he said that to me, I felt so much release. Like, oh, finally, like I can live my life the way I want to instead of like with these boundaries and not self-care and soul care. That's definitely in there, but it doesn't look like how other people think it should look. I think, I don't know what Carl's experience with that has been. We we talk about it often, but he could speak to like his, whether he thinks I'm, you know, crazy or not, because I, I, I don't know how to untangle those things. Carl, before you start, I just want to say one thing, because I'll forget it. And it's really important to me because it's such a connection between you and me, because what you just described is you in healthy two space, which is what Joel's saying. When you're secure, then you go to two. And what happens in that space is supposed to be that that's where you can experience wholeness. And without some two-ness, you can't experience wholeness. And well, without some eightness, I can't take care of myself. And so it's a, it's a unexpected, the most beautiful way of hearing eight move to two in security that I have ever heard. I, I married well. I'd like to Columbus this podcast episode to talk about my grace, <laughs> choice in women. <laughs> I, you know, thinking of your comment, and I'm an ext- extrovert and kind of processing out loud, but I think about there's a difference between for me between the cessation of activity and the cessation of responsibility. Um, oh, that's but, right. So I think like when I'm on our silent retreat, it's a it's a cessation of both. Someone else is watching the kids. I, we generally prefer to go to a place where meals are cooked for us. I don't have to do anything, and that freedom and that stillness kind of allows a different dynamic. But if we're you know if we're going on vacation. And we're going to, you know, someplace where Sanja has work and we're staying on a couple of days after I come later with the boys or something like that. If I'm not responsible for anything, it's a vacation to me. I'm just, you know, talking to people and playing with the kids at the playground, you know, do whatever, having to talk about you know, theology or ministry or parenting or whatever it is. I'm not responsible. Now, if I were to be Sandra on those <laughs> engagements, I would experience it differently. But because I'm not, because it's outside of my primary work context, it's generally outside of my home context, I don't feel that same level of responsibility. So I'm able to engage in rest and I think restoration a little bit differently. Okay. I, I think I'm going to walk away from our time together. And about 3.30 this afternoon, I'm going to think about the two of you and how beautifully you're doing life together and the things that you're accomplishing. And then I'm going to say, I should have said to them, so what's a struggle for the two of you? So yeah, I'm saying me. it, this is yeah. it. Tell me what's, what's the, what's the theme of our episode today? Is, is there a theme or is it just chatting? The theme is the van obstacles. 
<laughs> You're the same. Pop culture reference. It's from The Office. Do are anybody Office fans? Oh yeah, he, Sandra hates it. I love it. Oh yeah, when uh, she's like, "What's the theme of the birthday party?" He's like, "What are you talking about? The theme is it's your birthday." It's like every birthday party has a theme. How can there not be a theme? <laughs> The first thing that comes to mind, I mean, we definitely have stuff we're working on that I think is, uh, and again, it's like, it's, it's cross-cultural and it's Enneagram style and it's socioeconomic um, assumptions that we make. Some of us come from experiences where we had a lot of choices and some of us come from experiences where we didn't have a lot of choices. Rest feels like a choice to me. And I've had to undo that with in therapy because there's always a fire where I'm living and there has always been a fire where I'm living. So like, I, I just have my guard up when I encounter people that just have so many that assume we have choices, you know? So I think that's one of them that we're, that we have to always be talking through is like, okay, what is the assumption being made here? Can we talk about that? Can we bring it out? We're both very um, direct and, and extroverted. So I think that helps us because at least we know there's an issue. And then when we can't solve it, we just go, Oh, that's, that's for our therapist on Wednesday, you know, like we can't, we can't seem to come to a, but I think the hardest thing is actually parenting. And, and mostly because I think parenting, I feel bad for our kids that they're being parented by an eight and a one who had, who had kids <laughs> later on in life, you know? So it's, it's like, we just have a certain, there's a right way and a just way to do things. And then there's everything else, you know? And so I think we have very high expectations and we have two very different boys with two very different backgrounds and personalities. And we have to, luckily we kind of coach ourselves at night, you know, like we're like, Carl will be like, why were you so angry? That like seemed like a disproportionate response to, I mean, neither of us yell, we don't raise our voices. We don't yell, but like, still it's, you know, you feel the presence of a one or an eight in the room, you know? So, and I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's anxiety. Like, I just feel like, you know, whatever. And then sometimes I'll be like, whoa, that was like a strong disciplinary response to a eight-year-old. You know, what was that about? And we tend to not usually be on the right side, uh, on the same side, which is is good for the kids because otherwise poor kids. Um, and I think it's almost always culturally influenced. How do you parent? It's incredibly rooted in your deep, deep values that come from your family of origin. So um, but I would say parenting is actually the hardest thing and not because we argue a lot, but mostly because it just feels like it, I feel terrible for them. You know, like, <laughs> like now we're like, Lord, change us, please change us. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I think for us, a lot of our conflict is around different instincts, assumptions, or expectations. Um, you know, I, I think a, a recurring thing that comes up for us is, you know, I'm, I work in the IT space and, you know, my, my, my thought process is to fix the problem. I mean, that's what generally I'm hired or asked to do is, you know, fix this, make this better, enhance this, et cetera. So that's kind of my, my mentality. And because I'm wanting to contain energy and wanting to prevent problems, you know, being, you know, being scolded when, when we have a conflict, my first instinct is how do I make sure this doesn't happen again? And what Sandra's looking for is how can you show me empathy so that you, you, you feel what I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. And my, my first instinct is not, oh, let me express some empathy. My thought is, huh, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. And how do, you know, how, mm-hmm. how do we make sure that doesn't happen again? So I think, you know, our, because our personalities are different, you know, more, more <laughs> thinker, feeler, um, 
I've had to learn like, okay, the right thing <laughs> for me is don't worry about fixing the problem. Worry about expressing your feelings and, and showing compassion, making space. And especially with that great intensity, that fast moving, we got to get all the right things done, leaving room for the disruption of, you know, I have a feeling um, and related, related to parenting, you know, I tend to tend to be much better at showing compassion and empathy when I think your feelings are based on reality. Um, and, and when I don't think they are, when you, when we have two eight-year-olds, they often aren't, um, you know, I, my first instinct is not, you know, it's like, wait, how is that hurting you? It's not, let's move on versus, okay, this is the reality for them. <laughs> you know, how, how, how can I pause? How can I, how can I stop and say, you know, acknowledge like, man, that's, that's gotta feel really hard. I, I can imagine you're scared right now, you know, versus there, there's no boogeyman. You know, we kicked him out. He stopped paying rent years ago. We kicked him out. Like he's not there. You don't yeah. have to be yeah. afraid. But, but that's, that's the reality. Um, so I think, I think for me, that's, that's a growth area and something, you know, that's a recurring conflict. I think also, uh, making space to communicate expectations. So a lot of times our, our feelings are based, you know, disappointment is missed expectations. So our feelings sure. are, you know, something we assumed or something that was, you know, between the lines or, you know, we communicated it last time, but it wasn't brought over this time, you know, the same scenario. So I think for, for me, that's, like, oh, okay, I see that's where we get tripped up a lot. It's just a misalignment of expectations. Is that true for you and Whitney? What? At the expectations piece, just missed expectations. The Enneagram has been a game changer for us from the beginning of our marriage because I relate to so much that Carl just said uh-huh. about when things come up that I'm like, all right, how, how do I not be here again? And... <laughs> And a lot of the times, Whitney, even if I'm not the focal point and Whitney's looking for empathy. Okay. Two examples to answer the question. One, uh, Whitney's grandmother died recently. And she, when she came home, she was like, you know, tonight I'm going to need some, can I have some time to, to unpack some of this? And I said, absolutely. I'm there. And I, and I said out loud, I was like, and just remember who you're talking to that and who's who's receiving it because I know she, she's going to cry a lot and I'm not going to, it's a heady exercise of, for me, unfortunately, of, all right, now I should don't say anything. Don't say anything. Still don't say anything. Maybe now is the time to reach out and, and touch her on the leg or hold her hand. What is, is now the hug time? Now should I say, I'm sorry. Like what is she looking for here? If she had the expectation still of why is he not, sad for me. Why is he not showing? And right. I am right. It's just, it doesn't come out the way that her sadness comes out. There's an astonishing difference in sevens and ones. Astonishing. Several years ago, uh, we were driving back from Colorado vacation with kids. And, uh, we had a camper thing on the top of the car and I did not know that she left. This is, sounds like there's judgment. And I, I would not have left my backpack with jewelry on top of the car overnight even though it was locked up and everything. And she went that route. I wake up the next morning and it's like parked right outside of our hotel room, open the windows as I'm brushing my teeth. And I'm looking down like, yep, it was stolen. All of our stuff was stolen off the top of the car. And I assumed that, you know, I knew there was a couple of scooters in there and I was like, it's replaceable things. And then she, she shares with me what was in there. And we go down and she's crying. Like she's crying, crying. And I, 
I was like, this is a great opportunity for me to exercise. This was, like I said, this is probably three years ago for me to exercise the things that I'm working on. So I didn't say anything. I didn't talk about fixing it. I just, I gave her a hug and I held her for what to me felt like 10 minutes. <laughs> and then, you know, after what felt like 10 minutes, I gave her the old double pat on the back and, and I thought I'd crushed it. That following weekend, Hunter was here. Hunter Mobley was here. He's an anagram too. And I think she was in the, the contemplative cohort at the time. I think she told the story and Hunter gave her, I was here working after he's done and she's crying. Hunter gives her this hug, big long. And she says in front of me, mind you, she's like, thank you so much. I really needed that hug. And I was like, what about the hug? What about the 10 minute hug that I gave you? She's like, no, this was one, this was much longer and much different. Like, I think what I like about that from her perspective, one is not being upset with me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always like that, but also to that it's okay in a relationship. My feelings aren't hurt that she needed to get empathy from someone else. Right. Well, and twos are just better at empathy than sevens period, period. We just are. Yeah. Come to me for, for a good time and go to Hunter for empathy. A hug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think, I, I think part of it too is, it does the tool does help you know what's happening for someone else in a way that yes. even if it feels like illogical or whatever it's like okay this is where they're coming from which i know i know we both have really valued in all of our all the tools that we've gotten whether it's cultural intelligence or myers briggs or what we're kind of constantly adding to our toolbox and what the enneagram did for us and i think what, how it helps us to help others in their in their marriages as they both prepare and are in their early stages of marriage is just to say it's trying to understand what's motivating that other person. And so for me, I, the world is never right because I see all the things that are that are unjust and that crush people. And so I'm constantly trying to, you know, um, and so here's Carl and he shows me like, oh, look at our budget because we have this, <laughs> we have this, oh gosh, we have this like, we we are inspired by a couple of mentor, mentor couple of ours to live at, to try to live at the medium salary of you, the neighborhood that you live in to give the rest away. That's a long story for another day, but um, finances are a very important thing to us because it's about justice. And so Carl's like showing me every year, like, well, look where you've gotten to look at how much we've given away. Look at this. You know, like this. And every time I see this person, I'm like, really, we spent that much going out to eat. That's my first response <laughs> for like four years. Really? We spent that much on flights. To, you know, so it, he had done all the work, you know, he had done all the work of, you know, gathering the data. He was so proud of himself. He's like, I'm living more simply than I ever have my whole life. Yeah, we, and I'm we, like, we have a, we have 11 doors in our apartment that we live in and none of them match each other. Okay. It's whatever door was there when we arrived. And that one back there has door. a hole in it. So anyway, <laughs> um, there, there's the bathroom one. It's white. There's the other one, you know, they're all different. Okay. They're all different. We haven't changed a thing. Um, but I like to say that I'm like, I'm living more at, with more than I ever have before. So I'm feeling kind of the, the, the measuring stick the other way, you know, but instead of saying, thanks for doing that work, like, wow, must've taken you so long. I really appreciate that you're helping us live at our values. I'm concerned about the eating out budget. Can we talk about that? Yeah. My reaction was what? Like, Cause I wasn't working with the numbers. Um, and so I was like, what? We spent that much. And it wasn't even a lot, but it was, you know, and I'm always looking at the food because of how I grew up. That's like food is a luxury. You just eat to like live. Whereas, And, and, and I have a complimentary story. My mom would buy a box of 10 granola bars for three boys for five days a week. And I'm like, we, we need 15. I want one a day. 
And so I just, this, these granola bar thing is like traumatic for me in my childhood. I'm just like, when I grow up, I'm going to make sure I'm going right to eat well. I'm going to eat well. I'm gonna, and I like cooking. I like baking. I like doing so. I'm going to, that's where I'm going to invest. If I'm going to invest anywhere else, that's where I'm going to invest. And the first thing Sandra goes to is <laughs> the very thing I value. So that's, that's an area where maybe our values are not aligned, but yes. So, so this happened three years in a row, right? So I'm like, okay. And then he gets defensive, you know? And then I'm like, well, what do you, I'm just telling you, I'm just talking about, this. so we, we have this, like this back and forth on things like that, totally small things Um, where you put the dishes, you know, very, but it, the energy is like, I'm like, this is wrong. And then this is not what we talked about. And then Carl's like, it's not my fault. You know, like, and, and he's like, you know, this, and then I'm like, what do you mean? Own it, own it. You know, so it goes back, <laughs> it goes back and forth. And some of it's mis miscommunication, misalignment. Some of it's just like, however mood we're in that day, but it, 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 these um, washing dishes conversations could actually escalate so much that we are like, we're committed. We love you. We, we love each other, but we just can't talk anymore today. Um, and we're just going to have to wait to our appointment on Wednesday because we just can't. Yeah. Because it's going down a bad road. Yeah. Because it's going down a bad road, you know? Um, so I think that's hard because for many reasons. And then I realized, okay, well, if an Enneagram one is harder on themselves than they are on anyone else, you know, if they're critical of other things because right. they're criticizing themselves all the time, then that's an information I need to know. Because what I'm trying to do is like, Carl, just own that you didn't give me any empathy. Just admit that the first thing you went to was fixing my problem instead of saying, oh, wow, that was a really hard day. It must be really hard to be a woman of color in an all white guy space. You know, like say that to me, tell me you understand that my life is hard and that I'm still committed to going to all these places that people like me have given up on. Like, tell me that you think I'm brave and, and that I'm good, you know, like show me some love, you know? And then Carl's just like trying to fix the problem. And I'm like, no, you didn't respond the right way. And then he's like, whatever's happening for him internally. I'm like, why can't he just say he didn't do it the right way? And so now I know it's like, okay, there's something happening inside of him. That's not the same for me. Right. And so now I need to approach things differently. Like I know that you're on my side and I know that you love me and you do so much to support the things that I'm about. And I'm so glad to support what you're about. When I share a story like this, I just want you to say that sucks. Yep. And maybe even cuss at me a couple of times, like, wow, those efforts, you know, like, that's what I'm just thinking to myself. Like, <laughs> give me a couple cuss words, you know, like, tell me, you know, it's hard. <laughs> um, the intensity. I need the intensity. And he's so, and, and because he's a one, it's like. I'm measured. trying to contain the energy in the room. So how do I protect <laughs> the energy in the room? That's the exact opposite of what Sandra's looking for. You know, <laughs> I just want to so eat my granola like, bar. He's like <laughs> containment and I'm like expression. It and yeah. it's even more um, heightened by the family of origins that we come from and the, and the other kinds of things that affect our personalities and our workspace. And so all that to say that there's so many moments like that where it's just really hard to be married to someone who's different than you, but you, you, you like could just face it, you know, is I am doing, 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 going, going, um, scheduling, scheduling. And I think everything's okay because we've had some like really good interactions because we've had some arguments about something in the world. Cause you know, we've, I think we're connected. I feel very connected. You know, I'm like things are going good in our marriage. Things are fine. Yeah. Things are good. And then Carl will come to me at the table and be like, I don't feel important to you. I don't feel prioritized to you. 
And I'm like, oh, I know, you know, like we're just going to, and then he has to like literally the few times it's ever happened. So you can edit this if Carlos wants this out there, but the few times it's ever happened, he's like cussed at me and said, I don't effing feel important or whatever it is. And just drawn some, like some tears have come down. I'm like, oh my gosh, I did that. I made you feel that way. I'm so sorry. But it took like a moment like that for me to realize what was happening because I felt super connected. I yeah. felt like everything was okay. And here he felt not like that. And so that has happened probably two or three times in our marriage. We've been married about 15 years. So where where I think things are fine because connection and intimacy for me is different than for him. Yeah. Intensity. Um, I'm now intensity, on the other side yeah. of the table. I'm, I'm with you now. On- <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, here's where I am. I'm thinking about, and, and you, Carl, you and Joel, just um, be honest, but not shaming because that, you know, that's my default emotion. I can get that real easy, but Sandra, I don't know if this is true for you, but when I say to Joe, when I get mad, cause I didn't get what I expected. And then Joe says, tell me what you needed. And so I tell him, so then let's say the next time, He's kind of calculated it out and measured it like you two guys do. And then he says the thing like in Sandra's example, it would be, I think you're great. And I think you're doing such great work and it's just amazing. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so proud to be your husband. Then if that was the line, then if Joe says that to me, then that doesn't work for me either. Because I say, the only reason you use that line is because I taught you that line. Do you have a line of your own? Do you have something of your own to say? That's it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then I had to learn, actually, I was like, well, this is goes back to how we, we first fell in love. So Carl never told me that he loved me until he proposed to me. Because what Carl told me was that love is an action, not a feeling. So I'm a Latina. I want romance. I was like, give me the rom. Tell me that you love me. Sing me a song. You know, like, and, and I want words and I want all the intensity and all that. And Carl's like, no. <laughs> so... He told me that he loved me when he proposed to me, which is why I don't remember how he proposed to me. Cause the only thing I heard was I love you, which meant I knew what was going to happen. And then the rest of it was like, yeah. I don't know what happened, you know? Yeah. So I think for Carl, like to interrupt, she also thought I wasn't going to propose. Cause I took her to Milwaukee for Valentine's day. And she's like, he's not going to propose to me in Milwaukee. Like, right. Yes. Terrible. No. Right. Um, being from Chicago and all. So then, um, so then he, <laughs> When he does things like that, even though I know it's like, oh, he's using the line I gave him. (laughs) But I know for him, like doing the right thing is love. Like, it's like, I'm loving you like you told me to love you. Like, I'm doing what you told me to do. And and feelings are not that. He's also a TJ on the Myers-Briggs. So it's like, feelings are not that. My feelings will catch up to my duty, you know? So I think I see duty as like the stuff you do because you don't love someone. And he sees it as the stuff you do because you do love someone. And as we've grown in our relationship with, with Christ, I think we've actually learned, we've learned about one another, how to love one another by the way that we both love Christ, because his decisions, for example, to be a person of justice is because he loves Christ. Right. And and so his orientation to live a life of justice is because it's the right thing to do. Right. Not because he feels like it and therefore it doesn't make him fragile while he's doing it. Because right. when a, a coworker who's a woman of color confronts him, he can say, okay, well, what then is the right thing to do? And right. not, well, I was trying and you know, you're so ungrateful. And you know, he doesn't go that route because he's 
doing the right thing. And so the way he teaches our boys to love Christ is like through obedience, which is a part of your Christian faith. And the way I teach our boys to love Christ is through encounter and expression, which is a way to, you know, so I think um, as we've walked in our faith as like Christ followers, we've also learned like, oh, that's how he loves God by giving generously, because that is the mark of a Christian. And so he's going to do that because, so I've tried to like work really hard to change to, uh, I should say to hear the way he's connecting with me. And I think Carl has done a great job of trying to like hear me when I'm trying to connect with him, but ultimately we're going to, you know, miss each other. And so one of the ways that Carl that I try to tell Carl that I love him is I'll say, Hey, today I was on a podcast and I was talking to my friends on the podcast and I told them how great you were. And I told them that you are just such a person of justice and you do that so well. And yeah, I just, I I couldn't, I just told them so many examples of the way that you've loved God and loved us as a family. And, and that I'm just so proud of you, but I, I don't tell him directly. I tell him that I told somebody else (laughs) because to tell him directly would be too soft and intimate. (laughs) Well, if you tell him directly also, <laughs> it's very easy for him to discount. Once, if you so, tell them directly, they say, ah, oh, no. Oh, good. Eh. So it works for both of us. <laughs> so it's working. You can keep that up. <laughs> my, 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 my reaction is, man, it'd be nice if she said that to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have talked to a lot of people who are a lot of Enneagram numbers about a lot of things. And we are a Christ-centered ministry, and so I often find myself talking to people who are also Christian and who see the world in some ways the same way I do. I've never spent an hour with anybody who had as many examples without even thinking about it of how they are Christ-like and how they're living their lives than with the two of you. I'm extraordinarily aware that you are walking the walk and not just talking the talk. If I had time to list the things for you where I saw Christ-like behavior in you, I don't think that it was even a, a thought that you had. I think it's just the two of you talking about how you live your life. And I'm very grateful because I'm kind of in need of a little hope right now. It's just one of those times, I'm sure you have them too, where I'm, you know, our denomination is essentially splitting and it's just a mess. Christians misbehaving everywhere. When I hear about your budget and eating out and painting and getting rid of the frogs and being in therapy and silent retreats and uh, the way you're working through problems, I can't say anything except that that is more examples of Christ-like behavior in an hour than I think I've ever heard. And so I'm so glad that I know you. I'm so challenged by how you're living. I would really welcome the opportunity to know you better. Yeah. I would love for y'all to come visit Chicago. Thanks for the compliment. And I look forward to hanging out with you. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to come with all our stuff that we need spreadsheets for. (laughs) We're going to say, we want to do this and this and this, and just let the two of you tell us how. (laughs) I did did offer a seminary here in Chicago to do free free consulting on how to do a PowerPoint.